Welcome to the Lone Star Keto Podcast. I'm your host, Amber. My vision for this podcast is to showcase experts in the keto carnivore community, as well as those who have compelling stories that inspire and give others hope. My wish is that no one has to suffer like I did. If you find value in this podcast, please consider subscribing and hitting that notification button. And as always, feel free to share. Thank you so much for your support. Hi, I'm Amber, and welcome to the Lone Star Keto Podcast. Today, we have a special guest with us, Jay Golanello. I did that right, didn't I? You did. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) Anyway, Jay, I've been following him for a while, and he has so much information out there that is just really very interesting, and even some things that I didn't know when it comes to the history of uh, health and nutrition, and so I can't wait for him to talk about that. He is a nutrition therapy practitioner, and he is the founder of Perpetual Health. He's got some also other letters behind his name, but I'll let him talk about that. Welcome, Jay. Thank you so much for having me, Amber. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your background, like your educational background, because you've done a lot. I am so impressed. Well, I actually started my career off as an actor and a musician. So of course, it's like a perfectly natural thing to become a nutritionist after that, right? Yeah. (laughs) Like me as a romance writer in nutrition makes total sense. It's it's a perfect marriage. It's perfect. Um, So I I, I moved to New York about 10 years ago. And um, as I was looking for work, I I found a job as as a personal trainer. And I quickly realized that I just could not get the results for my clients that I wanted without understanding a deeper level of nutrition. So I started researching on my own. I found my way to the Nutritional Therapy Association where I studied for a year. And then that became just uh, a total obsession. And then I ended up um, in a graduate school master's program for clinical nutrition where I'm almost uh, done. I'm gonna be wrapping it up, uh, a few classes left. And and so now it's just turned into an equal love. You know, I have the arts on one side of my brain and I have the uh, the science world on the other side. And so it's been, um, as you said, you know, some of the things that I post, some of the things that I learn, the idea of the Instagram account I created was to take people along this journey of nutrition and what someone who studies nutrition at a graduate level would learn. And some of the things have blown me away as well. So I'm right there with you as, as I write things, sometimes I'm like, wow, I can't believe this is the story behind that, or this is the story behind that. It's things that just people don't realize. Yeah, that's absolutely so true. And, you know, with everything we're seeing going on right now, and my brain is just like, no, this is really isn't happening. What am I watching here? So it, it is very interesting to hear some of the history behind this stuff. And, and, and this craziness has been going on for a long time. It's just, it hasn't been in our face like it is right now. So right. I, I'm very excited to hear a little bit more about that. So let's get started. Sure. Um, I'm going to let you just take over because you you know the whole, the history at, of nutrition and health. So I'm just going to kind of let you do your thing. Okay, sure. Um, I, you know, I was thinking about this, like how to, you know, what's the best way to um, sort of bring people into a story that's so huge that it has, and it has so many tentacles that it's really hard to sort of figure out where to start. But one of the things I thought about when I was, um, when I was sort of, thinking of it from an outside perspective is that in the last 100 years, 110 years, we have had maybe the most significant shifts in the human diet and also in medicine that we've ever experienced as a species. So um, we had the refinement of sugar, we had the invention of of, uh, seed oils, and we had roller mill technology, which created the refinement of wheat, so refined carbohydrates. 
those three things in a matter of 90 years essentially created the, the, the foundation for processed food, right? So those never existed before. And then we also had in 1910, um, the, uh, the, uh, the Rockefeller family, which I know a lot of people are, are, are familiar with, but I don't think people realize how much impact they had in medicine. Um, they sort of changed, right. They sort of changed the paradigm from what once was um, in the 1800s, in the early 1900s, people had a choice. They could either go the homeopathic route or they could go the allopathic route for medicine. The allopathic route was uh, surgeries, bloodletting, using things like lead, mercury to basically drive disease from the body. It was a very aggressive approach. Whereas the homeopathic side was more uh, steeped in ancient wisdom of the Native Americans, of uh, Chinese culture, and understanding how to support the body in its natural processes. Um, they relied a lot on observations, and it was just very different than the allopathic school, but, but they did coexist um, in a way that actually worked for people. Um, people could choose, and, and, and they sort of went where they needed to go based on what was going on in their lives at the time. 1910 rolled around and the Rockefellers sort of realized that there was an opportunity to cash in on the allopathic side because that was going to be much more technologically driven, petrochemical driven. And so quite literally 1910 was something called the Flexner Report, which basically um, a gentleman named Abraham uh, Flexner went around the country deciding which medical colleges should exist and which ones shouldn't. That's a very abbreviated version of this story. Um, so we had a massive change in 1910. And then in 1911, Procter & Gamble created Crisco, the first vegetable oil or, or the first uh, you know, trans fat hydrogenated oil. So in that one, in, in that two year span, everything sort of changed. And what's really interesting is that prior to that, there was literally no heart disease that existed in the population. I think the first documented case of heart disease was in 1912 in um, the Journal of uh, American Medical Association. So, so the one case, you know, I mean, it was just virtually unheard of in terms of uh, a chronic disease. Uh, and then if you fast forward, you know, 100 years later, you're talking, you know, it's like 32%, I think, uh, of people die from heart disease. So while that is, uh, it's not causation, it's correlation, right? We see, okay, so we have this massive shift in medicine, we have this massive shift in our, in our nutritional paradigm, and now we have a massive amount of chronic disease. So you can't say that one causes the other, but to me, I think, well, that's something to look into because nothing else that I've ever seen in human history has, has created such a, a, a specific change in such a short period of time. So when I started to understand that and unravel that, to me, it was just the, 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 the arrow uh, was, was aiming right at that, uh, right at those causes. And I wanted to look deeper into it and, and have a better understanding of what was going on. Yeah, I'm glad you did because the I, I want to know a little bit more about the Rockefellers. If you could get a little bit more detailed into that, because that I had no clue. Right. I mean, you hear about Ansel Keys and how he had the influence, and you know various people like that, but I had never heard that the Rockefellers. Yeah, because Ansel Keys was you know later in the story. He was in the 50s and 60s when he was doing a lot of his research. Um, but the Rockefellers, so uh, Standard Oil was was uh, was a monopoly that was broken up. I, I think, I think John D. Rockefeller owned at some point ninety percent of all the oil in the country. I mean, it was it was a it was the definition of monopoly, and it had to be broken up by the government. And so, what he event and around that same time, um, chemists had created the process of, of of understanding how to create petrochemicals. And Rockefeller thought, well. Petrochemicals could also be the basis for pharmaceutical drugs. And so he saw this opportunity to be able to take over another industry. 
Um, and so that's what he did. So he and, and Carnegie and some of the wealthiest families, they got together and they sort of, um, that's where uh, a Abraham Flexner went out um, on behest of the Carnegie um, family, literally traveled around the country assessing medical colleges and realized that, you know, there's, there's too many approaches. There's too, there's too wide of a variety. What we need to do is consolidate the knowledge and, and make the sort of homogeneous medical schools. And in my opinion, that's the, that's the, the exact opposite of the approach you want. You want as much information, as much variety as possible so that the sort of cream rises to the top. What they decided was, no, we need to, we need to consolidate this so that we can essentially control it. Um, and after that, it was impossible for any, um, they call them empirics or homeopaths, any, any natural medical doctor to be able to attain a medical license. The American Medical Association, um, pretty soon the uh, Rockefellers had members on every board of every medical college in the country. So now you have doctors being educated in Rockefeller medicine. You have just this inability of anything else to permeate through. And I think you said earlier, you know, what you're seeing today in 2020, I think it's the perfect example of that is anything that's considered a natural medicine is either considered quackery or it's immediately just, you know, censored or, or, or brushed off to the side. Exactly. And you can really trace that back. You know, people think that we've existed in this paradigm forever. They think this is just always the way it's been, you know, but when you really think about it, a hundred years, that's the blink of an evolutionary eye that, mm -hmm. that, that takes no time at all. So, and, and again, before that people died of all kinds of different things, but it was not, it was not chronic disease related. It was not the type two diabetes. It was not the heart disease. It was not the cancers that we see today. Um, and so you just have to really wonder if uh, their influence and their participation in destroying what essentially was a thriving natural medicine field really has contributed to what we see today and, and shortening lifespans and just some, some really unfortunate events. And, um, you know, I hate to, I hate to be so hyperbolic and say the Rockefellers literally, you know, uh, you know, contribute to all, all chronic disease, but indirectly they have, they have contributed to it. There's no doubt about it. You have to look at the history. You have to understand where we came from and you can see it. It's, it's actually pretty clear. That, that I find that very interesting. Now, just out of curiosity, when you've been doing some of this research, and this is something that kind of boggles my mind, like, okay, the new vaccine, okay, whatever, don't jump on me, don't at me. But I, I, I look at, you know, the, the ingredients of some of the, um, you know, medicine in the, in the whatever, and they're, terrible. It's like, why? Why do you need that? Now, I understand that you need a base, just like with certain foods, they use maltodextrin as a base. My, my cousin is a food chemist, and he talked about that. And I'm like, but no, that's terrible. Don't do that. You know, he's like, but we have to use something. So why did the Rockefellers come to the conclusion that what they decided as a base would be a good thing? I think... And, and I can't get inside the head of John D. Rockefeller, um, obviously, but uh, I would say that there was no, there's no way to patent nature. You can't patent nature. So vitamin D, you know, things like that, they can't be patented. So I think it was just a logical leap to say, well, if we can create these, these pharmaceutical drugs that can quite literally be owned, intellectual property. I think that just makes perfect sense in terms of a business model. And I really, and I think, I think you're coming at it as uh, from an, from an approach of, well, this clearly can't be healthy for people, but I, I would be shocked if that even entered the purview of, of a John D. Rockefeller. 
he's just thinking, how can I make obscene amounts uh-huh. of money and be wealthier and wealthier? So I, I, yeah. I can't see any way that, I mean, I, I suppose perhaps you, you could, you could make the argument that, okay, let me take a step back. So t- today, because I work in a hospital, so I, I don't want to seem like a person who trashes everything that's modern in terms of medicine and, and what we've done, because we've done things that, that literally save lives. Sure. And if I was in a car accident, if I needed to be, if I was Humpty Dumpty and I needed to be put back together again, there's no other time I would want to exist. There's no other place I would want to be. You know, I'm right. at New York City Hospital. So, you know, put me back together in either New York or Boston are, are fantastic places for that. But when it comes to prevention, I think that's where that whole paradigm just falls short. They, they don't understand the human body. I think medical science is far too segmented. So you have a kidney specialist, you have a heart specialist, you have a lung specialist, you have, and those people never never seem to realize that all of these organs talk to each other and that the body is a system, right? It's a systems approach. And so um, I feel fortunate to be studying nutrition from a functional medical perspective. So I take, I have two textbooks. I have to study the traditional element of, of medicine and I have to study the functional element. So I really do get to see how doctors think, how they're trained, and then I actually get to sort of get the other side of it. And so I just think it's it's important to note that while medicine has a place, and it's not to say that everything modern is bad, it's to mm-hmm. say that we do have to respect the traditions and the things that got us here for thousands and thousands of years that actually worked. You know, I, I think it's funny, like you mentioned today, right? We see things in the news a lot about vitamin D and COVID, and it's like a revelation for some people. And, and I'm thinking, <laughs> vitamin D supports the immune system. That's not revelatory, you know, but to some people it's like, vitamin D can be that important? Yes, it's incredibly important, you know? Uh, so I just think it comes back to, to that point of, it's, it's, if you're thinking just in terms of wealth and not in terms of health, then it's very easy to see why the Rockefellers would pursue the allopathic side because they could, they could quite literally create the tools, they could create the surgeries which would require the hospitals, which would require the drugs, which would require, you know? So it's just this, this endless feedback loop that would make them richer and richer and richer. And at the same time, you have to uh, destroy your competition, and so you make you make everything that's natural medicine look like look like quackery, look like child's play, look like you know um, just something that's in, an insignificant element to human health, and and it couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, yes, exactly. Do you have any examples of that in modern history? Of of what exactly of of of. Uh, of of like where something's that natural is thought to be good, kind of like the vitamin D, which you, which mm-hmm. you, and then it's turned around to be like, it's this terrible thing, but you need to do this instead. I just right. want a really good, mm-hmm. nice example that, so people can really fully understand what's going mm-hmm. on, even right now, especially right now. Right. Well, I mean, I think, I think, you know, there's a lot of research out there about zinc. In fact, I put a zinc protocol at the very beginning of all of this craziness, the beginning of 2020. So I think it may may have been March or April. I put a zinc protocol on there with five or six um, peer reviewed studies that showed uh, zinc can actually interfere with viral replication. So zinc is an incredibly powerful tool in the immune system. and some of the some of the therapeutics that have, were were being used before the the vaccine has you know be, became available um, was hydroxychloroquine, zinc, and zithromax, and that was a protocol that was having incredible amounts of success because zinc again quite literally the mechanism of action is you know it it actually um, 
inhibits viral replication. I have to get zinc early on in the process. Once the cat's out of the bag, so to speak, zinc is not nearly as effective. But at the first sign of any kind of you know scratchy throat or everybody knows, everybody has that, in, uh, that innate ability to know when they're getting sick, whether it's a sniffle or whether it's a sore throat or something. You know when, yeah, you know when your body is experiencing something and if you immediately attack it with zinc um, and very little else actually, I, I actually kind of laugh because in using that protocol in this year, 2020, the year of a global pandemic, I haven't even had a cold, which is, which is kind of ironic, you know? So, but that's just another example of something that can't be patented. Zinc is not something, you know, zinc is a, is a naturally occurring mineral, so it cannot be patented. And it is incredibly effective and it is all throughout the literature. It's not, it's hardly controversial um, how well it works. And again, I've seen studies, I've, I've, I've posted studies. I haven't been censored, but I have seen doctors um, having a, 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 a protocol and they literally just will tell people, listen, all hands on deck, right? If you, if you really truly are experiencing a global pandemic where people are, are indiscriminately dying, you would think that you would want all, all hands on deck, every medical professional, mm -hmm. every forward thinker, every creative thinker, every critical mm -hmm. thinker to be on board and, and to, to help. And what I saw, what we all saw, was the opposite in a strange way. You started seeing people being censored. You saw doctors being censored. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought, the first thing I thought was, how can doctors both be heroes and also be censored? You know, we, we want to say that the frontline workers are our heroes. You see the signs. I mean, there's signs at my hospital all over the place. Yep. The heroes work here. <laughs> yep. And I agree with that. Some of those people are our heroes. I mean, they, you yeah. know, I have, I have clients who are ER doctors who, again, put people back together. They're incredible. Their knowledge, everything that they do, everything that they know, their ability to perform under pressure is second to none. I have the utmost respect for what those people do. Um, but when someone else comes out who's equally as prestigious and intelligent and says, hey, I have this idea about this novel virus that, that we could use to implement to help people. No, we don't want to hear that. So we're living in this dichotomy that's hard to wrap your head around. And it's, it's, it's really, I, I, I call 2020, you know, the sort of the year science came to die because yes. um, I, I think a lot of people feel that way. And it's frustrating to be yes. studying science at this time because I'm mm -hmm. seeing, uh, I'm seeing uh, uh, protocols and I'm seeing things being broken all the time that shouldn't, you know, this is not the way we do science. This is not how I'm, I'm being trained to do science. This is not how it works. It's not a fixed concept. It's a, it's an ever evolving mm. process. And uh, to, to claim that science is settled or that we are, we have arrived somewhere is someone who doesn't understand science. So it's, it's a tough time to be a scientist and tough time to be studying it because it, um, what we see in the media is not exactly what um, is being um, practiced in, in reality. Yeah. And, and we were going to talk a little bit about the censorship. So let's go ahead and just yeah. go there. Um, what I'm finding extremely uh, frustrating, but some of the information I get is not obviously from mainstream. And so I'm getting a different side and, and plus based on what I do every day and the right. doctors I talk to, the nutritionists, et cetera. And I, I know just enough to know that what other people are seeing because they're not in my world is wrong. It's just yeah. wrong, but they are being uh, only allowed to see certain information. And let's face it, most of the people 
you know, just sit in front of the TV and they watch the mainstream news and they take it as truth. And, you know, my eyes have been open and I can't close them. And I'm so frustrated because I want to cry, you know, like these people don't know, even with just the difference between like um, doing a, a low carb diet versus the typical standard American diet. Oh my goodness. Now, we're all starting to get you know censored because it's not feeding into what they want you to see talk a little bit oh, about that boy. <laughs> that is a uh, that is a can of worms i mean it's because it does it permeates everything it permeates nutrition and unfortunately now it's permeating health and it's affecting mm. people's health mm. um <clears throat> I think you I think you really hit on the thing that that bothers me the most once information is censored the source people then have no ability to understand what's going on right you can, you don't know what you don't know that's right and i think so i always say you know my goal in life is to it's the term conspiracy theory i actually love that uh term and i i, <laughs> really? I want to i want to i want to bring that back in other words like i want to make a conspiracy theorist you know a badge of honor i want to make it something that's a very positive thing because to me a conspiracy theorist is also known as a critical thinker in fact they actually i realized the other day i actually have yeah. the same initials ct critical thinker oh conspiracy I like theorist, that. right yeah, so yeah, yeah. so i think it's and, and i think that um again because science is not a fixed concept every advance everything that we've ever achieved as humans has been has been from the outside looking in it's not from the consensus opinion it's always somebody from the outside saying Hey, have we ever considered this? And then everyone, you know, demonizes them and 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 turns them into, you know, a lunatic. And, and yep. then eventually that idea is proven right. But if Atkins. Exactly. A perfect mm -hmm. example. A perfect example. Look at how much success. And he didn't have a lot of the science on his side, but he had all of the practical experience, which is mm -hmm. going back to this sort of empirics who had observational data. You know, they you can't discount that. It's not all that matters, but you can't completely discount it because it does, it does play into the equation. Again, it's um, conversations like this, these long form conversations are incredibly important to understanding the entire picture because if you just go on television and, and, and there's a sound bite, you're, you're never, the nuance is going to be lost. You're not going to understand the bigger picture. Very often you have to tell the history of something to have people understand. Um, we only have, you know, we have like a normalcy and a recency bias. We only understand what's happened in our short, relatively short lifetimes. So the, the censorship is really problematic because again, I, I just see every advance that we've ever had has come from, a, from, from the, the lack of consensus, from someone looking at, uh, looking uh, from the outside in. And, and now it seems like um, the news has us pinned down at home, right? So if you happen to live in the US, if you happen to live in a state that that's in a severe lockdown, which yeah. by the way, there's no science to support that. I just, I just have to throw that out there. But, but, if, but if, you, if you are, right, all you can then consume, and I think this may be like demographically relevant. So like if you're a person who's never existed in the social media world, or you don't get any of your news from the internet, or you don't even really think of the internet as news. You think everything that comes out of my television is the news. Uh, that's a dangerous place to exist. Yeah. Because you, you will only get, and if you turn the channels, they're all saying the exact same thing. Yes. They have the tickers on the side of the screen. At first it was death. And then if you notice very quickly, once the sort of, once the death rate sort of normalized and we went back, you know, then it was cases, which mm -hmm. another whole can of worms. Why Case cases, uh, <laughs> Yes, exactly. And I think Ivor Cummins, uh, he was the first one I saw talk yes. about the case demic and Me I just too. love that term. Um, so it's censorship, uh, you know, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because, so you, you live in, in Texas, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So 
one of my all-time favorite U.S. presidents was John F. Kennedy. Pro- probably, probably a lot of people's, you know, famous, you know, favorite historic uh, historical presidents. So, going back to the term conspiracy theory, right? So that's sort of where that term was was created. It was it was utilized to prevent anybody from critically thinking about the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Mm-hmm. The, the, the historical record says it, it was a lone nut assassin and, and Lee Harvey Oswald from the sixth uh, floor of the school book depository in Dealey Plaza killed John F. Kennedy in 1963. Okay, there you go. That's the official story. When I tell people, what if I told you that, that there was a conspiracy to, to assassinate John F. Kennedy? People would say, well, you're a conspiracy theorist. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, well, if we look back in history, did you know that in 1976, a government commission, the House Select Committee on Assassinations found, and this is a quote, there was a probable conspiracy to assassinate President John F. Kennedy. The last official government investigation into the assassination of John F. Kennedy said there actually was a probable conspiracy. So this is technically still an open case. Nobody knows that. And you get called a conspiracy theorist, yet I'm telling yep. you, the government has said there was a probable conspiracy. We couldn't figure out who it was, but there was a probable conspiracy and this should be further investigated. So I think that's just one of those things that in the history books, it tells you there was a lone nut assassin. And now I'm telling you that actually there was a whole other set of, of, of circumstances that transpired a decade later that actually said, no, actually there probably was a conspiracy. And that's just to highlight the fact that Sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And if the television doesn't tell us or we don't go do our own research. Yep. Um, I think and most of us be, don't. We no, don't. You're gonna be left in the dark if you don't. And it, yeah. it's hard because research is not easy and it takes time. Yeah. And I feel fortunate to be educated in research, but but you don't have to be, I'm, I'm not special, right? I told you, I was a musician and an actor, like, you know, maybe we're notorious for being dumb. You know, I don't know, but but I'm telling you that I'm not, I'm not, special. I'm just a person who decided to take a step in that direction. I learned things and there are much better researchers than I, but I've learned enough to be dangerous, I, I like to say. And, uh, and now <laughs> I feel like I I'm say. probably dangerous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, like Dave Feldman. I mean, perfect he's example. A perf- yes. And I mean, the work he's done has been phenomenal and he's an engineer, right? Yes. And I'm like, it, but, oh, but be sure to stay in your lane. Right. You know, you better yeah. just not even venture out. You're an actor and a musician. You better just stick with that because you're not supposed to be in that lane. Right, I, that- I've actually got had that happen to me. You know, people say, well, you, you, you don't. Who are you? And I'm like, I'm somebody who cares, somebody who has 40 years of experience doing the wrong thing. I'm somebody who has read every book I can get my hands on because I knew something wasn't right. And once I did find a little bit of, oh my goodness, when I started the keto diet and things started changing quickly, I'm like, what is going on with this? And so it led me down a rabbit hole. And here I am. But I'm supposed to stay in my lane because I am not a nutritionist. Well, kind of, uh, I mean, I guess now, (laughs) okay, now I am now, but you know what I mean? Um, You know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a, you know, scientist or whatever. So I have no business uh, educating people. Yeah. And I just, I, you know, I couldn't possibly disagree with that because we all start the same way, which is to say from nothing, nobody is born a doctor. Nobody is born a nutritionist. There's always some inciting event that occurs that makes us move in that direction for one reason or another. And it's a process for everybody. So it doesn't matter whether you were born into a family of doctors or whether you were born into, you know, a family of farmers, you, you have the, if you have the intellectual curiosity, 
you are going to be an asset. And like I said, mo most often, Dave Feldman is the perfect example. He was one of the people that my, my entrance to this whole world back in 2014, 15, he was one of the first people I stumbled upon accidentally because I was looking for some answers about specifically about lipids and cholesterol. And so mm -hmm. yep. he was one of the first people I stumbled upon and it was so, and I didn't care that he wasn't a doctor. In fact, I, in fact, I liked that he wasn't a doctor because me too. <laughs> all doctors were saying the same thing. And I thought, well, this, yeah. this can't be right, you know, because I feel really good. I feel better than I ever have. I've, you know, improved body composition. I've done all these things by switching my diet to almost all natural foods. And yet somehow now the doctors are telling me that I'm sick, right. you know? And so uh, it's that, it's that cognitive disconnect and you have to, you have to kind of break through that, but eventually um, it goes back to discounting anecdotal experience. You can't do that. That that's a having those experiences. Again, it doesn't prove something is, is true for everybody, but it could prove that it's true for you. And in that case, you become a very valuable person to somebody else who may be going through the same things. So good for you for sticking that out because it's not easy. You get, you can get, um, you can get berated by people. You can get, uh, oh, yeah. you know, it's just, it's, it can be an ugly thing, which is really sad because especially if your heart's in the right place and you're just trying to help people live a better life. So I, I think I get that all the time when it, whether it comes to meat or something else, you know, you get one side of the, the equation that says, you know, well, you know, meat is terrible for you. And here's all the reasons why. And, and, you know, I'm saying, well, I just don't find that personally. And I don't find that for the vast majority of anybody that I've ever worked with. So if it's bad for you and you eat it and you feel bad and you have, you know, poor blood markers and you, you know, then, then maybe that is the case for you for some reason, but it's not the case for everybody. You cannot discount it for everybody. There is no one size fits all. Being exactly. on either end of the dietary extreme can be a little dangerous. So let's all just kind of Let's remove the dogma. Let's remove the sort of like yes. religious ferocity of nutrition. And let's understand that we're all just trying to make ourselves and everybody else around us um, healthier human beings. Absolutely. And, it, you know, I see this all the time because of what I'm immersed in and that, you know, that's what I do. And so I see that all the time and I'm just like, everybody has something valuable to say, okay, maybe they're not hundred percent correct, or maybe it only applies to them, but that's okay. Because like you said, it might make a difference for somebody else. They may be in the same boat and may go, huh, maybe I should experiment with that. And that's kind of the way I coach is I believe in experimentation. I can kind of tell you maybe where to start at a baseline. And then the rest is up to you because you have to figure out what works for you, not what works for me. Right. And, you know, I, I think that that is a really good approach. But in our community, we see a lot of dogma. So let's talk a little bit of that. What is your take on that? I'm going to offend people now. Here we go. <laughs> oh, oh, here we go. No, here it's, we go. It's, yeah, it's um. So labels are something I've always I've always rebelled against instinctively. Even you know, like as a musician, you know, when someone would say, "What kind of music do you play?" I would not want to say something because I feel like that would pigeonhole me, and then therefore right. everyone would expect that I would constantly be writing in that style. So that has never left me, and it's the same thing now. And I and I I really just think that what what tribalism does is it for it 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 sort of diminishes the individual and it creates a group think that can be somewhat dangerous because mm -hmm. i have seen people because they identify with vegan or carnivore or or keto or plant based or whatever it is and they feel then if they stray from that they're going to alienate the community that they've become a part of and it's a human instinct to want to be part mm -hmm. of that tribe yes. that is 
And I believe that's an evolutionarily conserved mechanism that probably protected us from, you know, if you were the lone wolf that went out there and said, you know, if your whole tribe's going one way and you said, no, I think we're going to go over here, most likely you wouldn't have survived because you're all by yourself. You're going to get eaten by something. So I, I understand why it exists, but I think today where we don't necessarily need the, the physical pr protection of the tribe, that I think it, it starts to create this hive mind and this, this, this group think. And so then mm -hmm. I've seen people who something's clearly not working for them, right? Either they're plateauing, they can't lose weight, they're gaining weight, or their blood markers are going in the wrong direction. They feel terrible, whatever it is, but they have believed that this label is what's right. going to make them healthy. So they right. think, well, I just must not be doing it right or hard enough or extreme mm -hmm. enough. So they start to then go even further into that direction. And it really, it's really sad because I just want people to understand that even what may work for me or you now may not work for me or you in five or 10 years. Yes. You know, whether hormones are changing, whether your lifestyle has changed, whether you've, you know, you've gone to a place where you can, you're at a maintenance level and you're at the body composition you want. And so maybe you don't have to be as extreme on the vegan, low carb, vegetarian, whatever end of the spectrum that worked for you to get you where you wanted to be. And I just, I, I just want to try to release people of that. You know, I was, I was in, I was uh, Christmas shopping for my nephews the other day and I saw um, a keto product that was, um, it was like either it was, well, actually I saw two. So there was a, there was a, there's a slim fast keto uh, product and there's a Duncan Hines like brownie mix keto product. And the largest word on that label was keto because they know that it's a buzzword and it's going to right. get people right. to go over to it because they, those people are identifying with a certain diet. And right. I, and if, and if you do keto just by the macros, you can make it just as unhealthy as you can do plant-based oh, yes. or, yes, or yes. high carb or anything. So it just, I just don't want people to identify with labels and I want them to think of food as a nourishing thing and start to think about the ingredients and start to think about the quality because there are people that, again, they can do well temporarily with like an, if it fits your macros approach and like, you know, they can, <laughs> you know, they can look good. They can say, well, I have a six pack. So I, but, but I'm always like, okay, well, how about long-term and what's going on in the inside? If, if you, if you have enough room in your macros for a pint of Ben and Jerry's at the end of the night, I'm not sure that's a great diet for you, even if you look fantastic on the outside. So um, the dietary dogma really has to go and it, it's, it's anti-science to, to, to go into something with a belief system. In fact, you, you, in science, you should be going in trying to disprove your hypothesis. Right. And if you, then if you can't disprove it, you say, okay, maybe I'm onto something. It's not to go in with a preconceived set of notions saying, I'm, I'm determined to prove what I believe is right. That's actually the very opposite of how you're supposed to do rigorous science. Yeah. I have some friends who are uh, big in the community, keto carnivore, and they have made changes to their diet and like say carnivore, but they started adding in, uh, you know, maybe higher fat. Oh, wait, that's not carnivore. You're supposed to be more protein than fat or, you know, people's opinions of that. Or they added in a little bit of uh, vegetables you know, not, not the, you know, highly starchy or whatever, but just some vegetables because they were having some hormonal issues and maybe they up their fat or whatever it is. They're starting to tweak. Oh my goodness. The backlash was crazy. And I'm like, what difference does it make if they are healthy? This is helping them. This is making them happy that they're, they're, they're experimenting. What is wrong with that? You don't have to like, I do call myself a carnivore. I do, but that's just makes it easy right. 
because that's how I eat. I, sure. I don't eat any any carbs and stuff or what's maybe occasionally in eggs or heavy cream or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and trace amounts of meat, whatever. But um, <laughs> so I will use that word. But at the same time, in this sense, it does make me cringe a little bit. Yeah. You know, because I feel like that does box me in. And, you know, what if I decide that, you know, maybe my hormones because they're a little wackadoodle right now. And so I'm trying to figure things out and, and I'm like, okay, well, what changes could maybe I, I make, what, what can I experiment with? So what I'm going to do for me is I'm going to get a CGM And I'm going to experiment. I'm going to see what my daily, uh, you know, food intake looks like as far as a glucose response, Mm -hmm. because there may be something I'm doing that is really, you know, messing with my glucose and and then in turn my insulin and it's causing some things to happen. I don't know that yet. Um, I do have a glucose monitor, but I'm just not going to poke my, my finger all day long and using up all those strips. So I just want to do the (laughs) continuous one and just see the whole day, see what's going on with my body so I can make an educated change. And if that takes me out of the carnivore box, uh uh-oh, you know, it's like, yeah. I think that's the toughest thing. And I, and I applaud you for that because I do think that that's important. People need to figure out what's going to work for them. Um, And, you know, to your point, I have a, um, I have a client who uh, was getting blood work done one morning. This is just to your point about um, wearing a CGM. He had a fasting blood sugar somewhere in the 120s or 130s. And I, and, and he's a relatively speaking, he's a carnivore. And I, and I said, what, wait, I said, you got to explain to me the morning. Like how, this, this is totally, you know, I mean, it's just, I would never take one, one isolated metric, especially right. not a fasting glucose. Right. I'm not, was not concerned. I was more looking at it like a puzzle. I was trying to figure mm-hmm. out what had happened that morning. And, um, and I said, did you, you know, did you work out because that can do it? Did you have a really bad, like traffic experience, like, like a, you know, like did someone get close to smashing into your car and that, you know, sort of got you. right. And that, and that can do it. I've seen people wear CGMs yes. and they see that like a traffic, um, you know, their commute really spikes their blood sugar, which is, you might want to think about a different job at that point. But, um, <laughs> but for him, it was, it was black coffee. He said, Oh, I had, bl- I had mm. black coffee because, because he was thinking, well, that doesn't, that doesn't really break my fast. And I was like, well, technically not, but some for some people, people Yes. Some people do have yes. uh, an exaggerated response to yes. coffee. And- I, that's one thing I want to check that I think that is the one thing that I did kind of change. I mean, not, I mean, it's been a while, but I'm having a hard time breaking that habit. And that's not the coffee, honestly, it's the cream in it. Okay. Um, I know. I, and I've been cutting back, cutting back, cutting, cutting back, but you know, and then I'll get off it for a little while. And then I feel I need that comfort. So I know it's also an emotional thing, which is not good. And I need to break it for that reason, if nothing else. But <laughs> I, that's one of the things I will be testing because I'm very curious. I hear this and people are like, ah, don't be talking about my coffee, you know, which I get it. You know, coffee is one of those things you don't mess personal. with people on. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 you don't do that. And, right. and so, you know, I'm just curious is I know people that that's happened to, is that me? And right. so you don't know, unless you experiment, you just say, oh, well, everybody else can have coffee and they're all fine and they're carnivores. Okay. Yay. That's great. And there's, that's fine. That's good. Good for them. They figured mm-hmm. it out. But do you really know? 
That's what I always say. How do you know unless you test it or you remove it and then add it, whatever. You right. got to do some kind of experimentation because you can't just say, just like with dairy. That's another one people get triggered sure. about. I love dairy. I'm not going to lie to you. The only dairy I really honestly have though is cream, but I love it. And it's like mm. hard to break that. And I know that I recognize that and I'm working on it, but you know, some people have a major issue with it. Some people don't. And, and, and you know, they're, Oh, it's not a problem for me. I've eaten it all my life. Do you really know? I mean, have you ever <laughs> tested it to really know? Because your normal may not be what normal should be. It's right. just because you're used to it and you don't know mm -hmm. any different. So, And, you know, again, and then you can look at dairy and you can say there are so many variations of dairy. So I get my dairy from a local farm. So it's raw, which in, in New York state is illegal, except for cheese. You can buy raw cheese, but you can't buy any other raw dairy. So so I buy raw dairy and it's also, I get goat or sheep cream or yogurt, which tends to be more easily digestible to, uh, for people that have dairy issues than cow. Mm -hmm. So if I've got somebody who loves cheese and they love yogurt and they love cream, but it really doesn't work for them, I'll have them try raw and I'll have them try um, sheep or goat. And very often that will actually be uh, you know, a better result. And since you live in Texas, I am sure that there are some local farms you could probably, you could probably find. And I, I found a farm that, that actually is a couple of states over, but they deliver to multiple states in the Northeast. So um, I do a once every two weeks, I do a little pickup and I, I get my raw dairy from them. And, um, and that really, that really does work for me. Although when I was a child, I had terrible allergies. I had allergies to almost every food growing up. Now I have none. So it just goes to show you that the body can change. And, and we, you made a point earlier, you know, about, about that being, you know, sort of, if I wanted to try a vegetable or something that, that you know, I would be shunned by my community. Mm -hmm. And I really can't help but laugh at that because it is so, it is so like modern humans, again, thinking like even just a couple hundred years ago, we didn't have the luxury of saying, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna eat this one thing because I'm a fill in the blank. You know, <laughs> you, you, if you were a hunter and you had a, and you were, had a failed hunt, guess what? You're eating whatever, you know, berry or tuber or whatever you could find in the ground, because it wasn't about belonging to, it was about survival. It wasn't about being part yeah. of a group or whatever. So that's why I think, you know, uh, when you look back at history, um, as far as I'm aware, there were no vegan or fully carnivore groups that everybody, at least to some degree, would partake in something uh, outside of what they would, you know, what they would be labeled nowadays. Um, but that's just because, you know, it's necessity. Supermarkets exist today. So I tell people just because you can get yeah. a blueberry 365 days a year doesn't mean that a blueberry should be eaten 365 days a year. So exactly. You know, I, I try to take a very uh, uh, seasonal approach, ancestral approach, you know, so in the winters, I'll, I will do a lot more fasting. I will replace coffee sometimes with bone broth as a, as a replacement. Mm. And so you can still get some of your fats and you still get the warmth and the comfort of like a, mm. a hot mug of something in the morning. Um, and then, you know, it, it, it maybe in the spring or the summer, I'll, I will eat more um, fruits and vegetables that are seasonal, um, but it's a short period of time. I love fermented food. So I will use sauerkraut a lot. I think that really has done a lot for me in terms of gut health and overall immune boosting power. So, um, you know, so I would say I'm 90 to 95% animal based, but uh, fermented foods uh, find their way into my diet all the time. And um, even, even a grain every once in a while, if it's like organic soaked sprouted, you know, like the, a traditional grain, nothing like I would never go to, you know, buy a loaf of bread in the store, um, but like a traditional grain that's from the farm, like hand milled, you know, those kinds of things. Those are a treat sometimes. We had zucchini bread over, um, 
over the Christmas holiday. And it was, you know, it was fantastic. It's something that I have every once in a while, but um, I don't think it's a problem. And I think we really have to really, again, just try to remove that, that I think it, it's freeing to think, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I'm not stuck in a paradigm. I can, I can go wherever I need to go because mm -hmm. if the goal is to be healthy, then you, you can't, you can't put cement blocks on your feet and say, okay, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not leaving here. No matter what happens, you've got to be versatile. You've got to be able to move around and sort of see what your body needs at the time. Absolutely. Let's go back to something I'm putting on my conspiracy theory hat on. Great. Um, raw milk. Why would that not be allowed? Like some, there are actually laws where you can't get that. Now where I'm coming with that is, okay, so it's not pasteurized. Okay. You might get sick. Well, hello, you go and buy raw meat and do not, not say the same thing about raw meat. I mean, you, just, just because most people cook their meat, maybe I'm taking it home and I'm eating raw. And I have, um, not, my, <laughs> not my favorite, but I have done it. Tartar. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I have done it for experiments, but yeah, no, it's not my thing. Mm -hmm. I do like medium rare, very medium rare, but other than mm -hmm. that. But do you know, do you have the history behind that? Or what are your conspiracy thoughts on that? So to me, I can't help but go back and think money. Yes. I don't know. So this will, someone can fact check me on this because it's something that I read a long time ago, but I haven't brushed up on it. So I'm, I probably will get some points of this wrong, but the pasteurization process essentially was, so first of all, in California, you can go there and you can buy raw milk mm -hmm. and we don't hear on the news about, you know, throngs of people, you know, becoming sick because they're drinking raw milk. So clearly raw milk is not a problem. And, and I've been consuming raw dairy for years and I'm still here. So I think, I think the whole thing, you're right. I think uh, it's sort of, um, if I remember correctly, the, the sort of mass ability to pasteurize products was um, a, a process that was invented, but then um, the process was refined to be able to do it on a larger scale. And if I remember the story correctly, it was a, a specific person was traveling from town to town and sort of scaring people, <laughs> a la 2020, scaring people into what it would be like, you know, to, you know, that you could get sick eating raw, uh, 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 drinking raw uh, milk, consuming raw dairy, and that the safest thing to do was to pasteurize it. And since he was the person who owned the patent and created the machine that would do the pasteurization, that sort of happened. Because I think prior to that, actually, the um, doctors were were actually a, a huge proponents of of raw milk. It was actually considered a therapeutic tool. So um, it's a great point. I should probably go back and read it and do a post about it. But but I do remember reading about it, and I do remember thinking, oh, of course, you're right. Your instinct was correct. It, it is about, or it was about, um, somebody making money, finding an opportunity. You know, problem, reaction, solution. Right. That's the that's one of my favorite things. You create the problem. You're going to die if you if you drink raw milk. Um, you, you, you sort of, uh, you know, everybody gets afraid and that's their reaction. And the solution is, I happen to have a machine that will keep you safe from raw milk. So now every, everybody that wants to drink milk has to, has to pay and has to partake in the, the uh, invention that I've created and patented. So that is, um, I believe that is the story behind pasteurization. And I've read a lot of studies on it and, you know, raw milk is just not a problem. It's, I, uh, it's just, it's not as much, you know, you've seen, you probably see more about E. coli and lettuce than you do about you know, people getting sick <laughs> yeah. from raw milk. So exactly. See, yeah. that, that's what bugs me. And you know, another one that really gets me that I, I, I can't for the life of me figure out that in some places it, it's illegal to collect rainwater. Yeah. I don't know a lot about that, but I have heard but, it and it, it's bizarre to me. Anything, anything illegal in nature, any, any, anything you like, take from the earth that's supposed to be all like you know us as a species 
that is a uh, that's a legal argument. You know, it's my grandfather was a lawyer, so maybe he could just like, to speak, <laughs> spoken better to that. But but I I don't. Um, that's bizarre to me, and it's it's sad. And I I think I've done some research on Nestle, and I know that they're definitely trying to buy up water and keep you know <laughs> basically create a create a you know a a, a need where there shouldn't be. Um, That's you know, of course, crazy. they have to pay for water, but yeah, it's, um, I have heard that. In fact, I've been hearing it a lot yeah. again in, in the year of 2020. Well, what about it being illegal to have your own garden in your own yard? It's, we're going to have to get the tinfoil out for things like that because <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, uh, you know, yeah. where have we gone as a species if, if, if <laughs> exactly. gardening is something that becomes I know. illegal. But, you know, and we've seen it's crazy so things. It's so aggravating to me too, because a lot of this kind of stuff for me, I'm like, you know what? If I choose to do something, you know, that may be considered stupid, like eating raw meat that's been on the counter for three days or something, guess what? That's on me. I don't Absolutely. need some law telling me that after three days of the raw meat sitting on your counter, you can't eat it. You know? <laughs> so I, kind of, I mean, there's, there, there is a place. I mean, I do appreciate that, you know, there's inspections on plants and stuff like that to make sure that when we get our foods that it's not, you know, overly contaminated, but you know, they do have a certain percentage that's okay to be, you know, <laughs> so yeah. you know, all that kind of thing. I'm just like, mind blown. I just don't get it. The regulatory agencies aren't as, uh, I mean, how many drugs has the FDA allowed to market because the long-term testing wasn't there. And then only after people get sick and unfortunately in some cases die, does the FDA say, okay, we should pull this off the market. You know, there's, it's, it's through, again, it's throughout history. You have to understand that um, the three letter agencies, I always tell people, they're just made up of people. You know, once they become, this is, goes back to the labels, just because something is labeled, you know, the FDA. So it sounds authoritative. It sounds like they have the, the people's best interest at heart. But in reality, any organization is just made up of people. And any organization is only going to be as effective as the people that make up the organization. So if there are biases, if there is corruption, if there is, you know, if, if there's any of that in an organization, the organization is going to function less optimally. And history tells us, you know, in private corporations and government agencies, yeah, it's not always about protecting the public. In fact, sometimes it's sometimes it's not even about protecting the public at all. It's about protecting their own jobs and their own because we all have to look out for ourselves, right? That's again another biological imperative. So if your yeah. if your livelihood depends on you doing something that could potentially harm somebody else, potentially harm somebody else, you can justify that and say, well, you know, I could definitely lose my job, but, the, but there's only a potential that I could harm somebody else. So you can quickly see how rationalizations can creep into an oh, argument yeah. and become problematic. So I, I really encourage people to at least take some degree of responsibility for yourself. That's the libertarian in me that's saying, I don't need the government to tell me how to be healthy. They've done yes. a really lousy job over the past hundred years. Let me really just take care lousy. of it myself. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be fine. Yeah. If I need you, I'll let you know. Well, American Heart Association, American Diabetic Association, those are two have done so much damage right. because of what they're preaching. I remember my, my cousin telling me at Thanksgiving when at I don't know how many years ago, four or five years ago, that um, he was allowed to have certain amount of carbs and it didn't matter what it was. It could be pie, whatever, so long as it was an ungodly amount of, of carbs, more right. carbs when I, I was keto at this time, he would eat more carbs in a day than I still did in a week. Yeah. 
And I'm like, what? He's diabetic severely. He had already lost some toes. And oh. um, he continued, and I, try, I tried to kind of say something, but he believed in this agency, what they told him. Mm-hmm. He claims he did everything they told him to do. And I he believe probably, he did. He probably did. And he's already lost another toe. Um, he has kidney issues so bad that he will eventually be on dialysis. His uh, heart has uh, given out right when this pandemic hit and they started shutting hospitals down and stuff. He was in the hospital because mm-hmm. of a severe infection in his foot and mm-hmm. um, heart and his kidney shutting down. Right. Yeah. So well, this is where it comes back to anecdotal evidence. You know, if something's not working for you, you have to be able to remove that appeal to authority and say, okay, listen, I know they're an authority figure, but I, it, this is not working for me. I'm, I'm literally falling apart. I'm dying here. I have to make a change. And it's only in those moments sometimes where people will look to something else. And then very often, if it works, they'll say, why didn't I think of this years ago? Everyone will arrive at their own time. Some of us will never arrive, but I feel lucky to have arrived when I did. And, you know, my goal is to try to help as many people at least entertain the notion that their health is in their own hands and that there's a, that there is a lot that they can do through nutrition yeah. lifestyle um, to, to live an optimal life. And it's not necessarily contingent on pharmaceutical drugs or, you know, um, federal authorities to tell us how to live healthy. Exactly. But there, you know, there's so many people who, like you said, they look at somebody in an authoritative position and they just, okay, whatever. Okay. I'm pretty sure I was born bucking authority because if it's one thing I hate is being told what to do. My husband learned a long time ago. Don't tell me don't to do something because I will look you straight in the eye and do it. Right. Do it. I don't care if it hurt me. I don't, I will cut my nose off despite my face to prove you, you know, that you tell me not to do it. I will do it. You know? So I, I, I find that, you know, kind of hard to understand how people just blind my mother, for instance, Uh, she just kind of does whatever the doctors say. And when I first went with her to some of the appointments, when she found out she had breast cancer, uh, they wanted somebody there to, you know, make sure she was okay in case she really freaks out or whatever. And she just took it and she, and then I'm like, okay, hold on a minute. First of all, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. Okay. What does this mean? And I'm going through everything and she just accepted everything. Yeah. She still has her port in. And it's been over a year since she's had chemo. And I'm like, why aren't you saying something like, get this thing out of my body? And she's like, well, they'll tell me. And I'm like, oh, good gosh, no. I would be going, excuse me, get this out. (laughs) I'm done with this. I've, I've, I've finished everything I'm told to do. And it's been a year, get it out. But she won't do that. She's just waiting for them to tell her when she should have it out. The, the programming is real. The, 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 Respect for authority is 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 fine, but respect has to be earned. And if something isn't working, if something hasn't yeah. worked, um, I think that's where the line has to be drawn. And you have to maintain some autonomy and say, no, I have to do something that um, is going to work for me, even if that means it's experimental by by the standards of you know a federal institution or a medical institution. Yeah, I, I just find that very sad because so many people in kind of like like some things that are going on right now and we're being told to do and we just do it we just do it it. when there's no scientific evidence but we do it okay and i will admit that just to not 
cause issues in certain circumstances. I do it because I just don't want to deal with, with any issues. I'm not in the mood for it. I don't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And, or, you know, you know what I'm talking about, but I don't even want to get in there because it's so political. Good, 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 good guy. So (laughs) (laughs) it's like, man, people be at me left and right, you know, but there are certain things where there is no scientific evidence. So why, why are you following what somebody says? And they're the biggest, uh, yeah. Anyway. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> I absolutely do. I feel your pain. <laughs> but I, even I, even as stubborn as I am, I will occasionally, you know, go along to go along, even mm-hmm. though in my head I'm going, this is stupid. I shouldn't be doing this. But but you have a line, I think, probably like everybody else does, where where you, you won't go along if, it, if it's going to, you know, we all have a survival instinct and we have to maintain that survival instinct. And so there are lines where... I will go along to get along, but but there's a point where yeah. I will not allow. So this is the red line, buddy. You yep. done crossed it, right? Okay, <laughs> let's see. What uh oh crap on it. We didn't even get to to oh man, nuts. Okay, I'm gonna have to have you on again because there are some things we didn't even get around to. Sure. So um yes, but I gotta jump off. I've got another podcast. But Jay, thank you so very much for for joining me on the podcast. Um great stuff, but I will have you back on because you have way too much to to pick your brain about. So <laughs> great. Thank you so much, Amber. Absolutely. Hey, y'all, subscribe to my channel. Do it right now. Do it. And then go follow Jay. I will have all his information below. Anyway, bye, Jay. You have a wonderful day. And thank you. Bye.